It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad you could join us today on Locked On Reds. It is a Thursday. It's a Friday Eve, but it's the middle of our podcast week. Got a few days left after this, but today we have a special guest in with us. He is the man in charge of the blog Red Machine. He's been on here before. It's been a few months. It's kind of my fault that it's been so long, but we're happy to have him back. It's Drew Cook from the blog Red Machine. Drew, how are you doing, man? Jeff, I'm doing great, buddy. By the way, before we get too far into it, uh, bravo on the new uh, intro music. I love that. So good stuff. <laughs> good stuff. Man, I appreciate it. It's uh, something that's uh, been nice because really the stuff that I had before was just you know a loop on GarageBand or something because I didn't want nobody suing me. I, I hear that there's <laughs> bands that like to do that sort of thing if you illegally use their music. So, yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, let's... Uh, Let's talk about our favorite baseball team because they've been interesting this offseason. They said they would. They have. Uh, they've been in on just about everybody. They haven't gotten everybody, obviously, or else we would all be doing backflips and things like that. Do you look – we'll start big picture and we'll work. We'll, we'll kind of work in and get smaller as we go. Um, do you look at what they've done – does it outweigh the names that they were in on and missed out for? Do you, do you look at it as a what could have been off season, or are you excited about what they've done? Oh, I'm I'm a hundred percent excited about what they've done this off season. I don't, I, you know, the these guys are free agents and they have the option to sign wherever they want. And Cincinnati's been fortunate enough to sign three very good free agents this off season. Something we rarely ever see them do. Right. Um, I, I think the Mustaka signing, I think that, I think that really kind of set the tone for the off season. Um, and that was fantastic. I think, uh, Wade Miley is a nice pickup. Um, I don't know what the exact expectations are for him. Um, but it's nice to have a left-hander in the rotation. He's had, you know, success the last two years, reuniting him with DJ. Hopefully that, uh, you know, brings some more success. Um, so I don't have a problem with that signing at all. And uh, I'm really excited about the Akiyama signing if he's able to actually transition from the ja- from the Japanese League uh, into Major League Baseball. So, you know, they, they were in on several guys. I know Gregorius and Grandal, and we heard Wheeler's name tossed about, and uh, Ozuna. Um, I mean, those, those are all big-name free agents that signed big— you know, free agent contracts, but, um, you know, like I said, those guys have the freedom to sign wherever they'd like to. And the fact that Cincinnati was in on those conversations at the very least, um, shows that they were looking to upgrade the roster in many different places. 
And, you know, I look at some of those contracts as a bit of an overpay, especially for what Cincinnati is going to do in the typical market that we see them in. So as far as I'm concerned, they've had a very, very solid offseason. One more signing would obviously put it over the top. A, A mega trade would, you know, put them in the driver's seat in the NL Central. But I don't think we can have too many complaints uh, from what we've seen from uh, Dick Williams and Nick Crawl and the rest of the front office this offseason. I absolutely agree with you. I, I, when I look at the moves, and, and I understand that Moustakis and Shogo and Miley aren't the best players at their position, but at the same time, I think they do add a lot of value to the team. Moustakis with his ability hitting the middle of the order, Shogo and his on-base ability at the very least i i am with you i i wonder as to how much translates and what gets left behind but then also with wade miley i think the correct expectation for him is just depth not to say organizational depth but major league starting rotation depth and maybe tyler malley takes the fifth starter spot out of spring training maybe it's miley but at least you know you have six bona fide starters going into this season Now, I'm with you. I feel like in order to be the odds-on favorite, they do need to make one more big move. But I definitely think that they're in the conversation. This isn't like the last couple of years where we look at this offseason and we we take it into spring training and just say, well, you know, I really, really hope that they're competitive, but they probably won't be. We'll probably be looking at fourth place. I don't think that. And, and I've seen some fans' reaction and some and some different folks on Twitter talking about like, oh, well, 75 wins again. Here we go. Uh, they'll be lucky to be 500. What? No. I, I don't know what you're watching, and... I think that's just the Cincinnati sports fan in general. We're we're all kind of jaded from the way that things have gone in all of our sports, not just the Reds. But they they let it carry over into this Reds expectations, and they've already felt like the Reds have lost. and And I just don't understand that at all. No, I, I'm I'm right there with you. Um, you know, I, I'll follow the Bengals as well, so we can all get down on how bad Cincinnati sports has been. Uh, before, but you know, I think the Reds have done a great job this offseason putting things together. Um, another thing I really like about the additions, especially with Mustakas and Miley, is you're getting a veteran presence who have won at high levels. I mean, yeah. you know, Mustakas has a World Series title to his name. Miley's been on playoff teams, you know, recently. Um, I mean, outside of Votto, you can't really find a guy on the roster that's, uh, you know, seen that kind of success. Um, so I think that uh, I think that those are important things to have on the team going forward, and uh, I think it's going to translate to success on the field. Not to mention, I mean, with Ozuna signing in Atlanta, that obviously weakens St. Louis's roster. Mm-hmm. Um, the likelihood of Castellanos re-signing in Chicago is going to weaken their roster. They're already looking to deal. Um, you know, Milwaukee's made some solid moves, but as far as the division is concerned, it's not an overly strong division with teams that are really looking uh, to compete this year other than Cincinnati and maybe Milwaukee. Obviously, St. Louis and, and uh, Chicago still have talent, but they didn't add anything to their roster this season, whereas Cincinnati has, and Milwaukee's done a little bit on their own. 
totally agree. I mean, the the moves that Milwaukee made to replace the guys that they've lost, it's evident that they are really banking on some guys that they still have. They're banking on, obviously, Christian Yelich. It's pretty easy to bank on a guy that good. But on the other end, they're banking on the Keston Heras and uh, maybe even a little bit on Orlando Arcia, uh, different things like that. And whether or not that will play through, that still means that the Brewers are entering this season with hope as a strategy. With that, I'm kind of excited because I think, like you mentioned, when you look at the division as a whole, not not everyone has lost stuff, but no one's gained anything. So I think if you're in the mid-80s, like if I think Vegas had the Reds over under at 83 and a half the other day, If, if the Reds hit the over by a game or two, which... Some people may almost see as a disappointment. I still think that they're in the running to win the division at you know with 85, 86, 87 wins. And I don't think you have to squint that hard to see the ability to do that, especially, and I know you're hoping on a lot of things going right, but even just the baseline talent with most of these guys, I think I think my baseline expectation, if they don't make another move, which I fully expect them to, but if they were to go into the season with the roster as is right now, I I don't think 84 wins is an unreasonable expectation. Oh, I I completely agree with you, and I and I think you're right. You know, it it's not going to take a lot to to win this division this year. I I don't think you're going to have to hit 90 plus wins in order to win the division uh, in the NL Central. So 84, 85, 86 wins might just be enough to actually. Uh, you know, make it happen in that division. Uh, and they, they have a lot of things going in their favor this year. I think something else that uh, really I think people may take for granted, and I know he got a lot of flack last year, but David Bell going into his second season as the manager, he probably learned so many things last year that uh, that I think is really, really going to help him as a manager going into next season. And um, hopefully that transit translates itself to some more wins um, heading into 2020. I think that's a good place to start uh, focusing in on some different aspects. Let's talk about David Bell because I know that I'm of the uh, I'm of the idea that the manager isn't super important, but I do understand his importance to a good team. When you look at David Bell and some of the things that he learned last year. Do you think that he maintains his bullpen philosophy, and do you think that he maintains the whole let's have a rotating, you know, a revolving door for the bench this season, or do you think he he comes out of the gate a little bit more conservative? You know, I I think as far as the bullpen goes, hopefully he learned that, you know, I, th- I think what we saw last year with with Hernandez specifically. Um, some of these guys, you just you just can't ride them every single game out there. And I think we saw Hernandez play well and then just totally implode at one point. Uh, I mean, we even saw Amir Garrett have huge success early on. Uh, even, you know, and, and early on in the season, I think everybody remembers, I mean, he was only used almost like a lefty specialist for the first, um, you know, several games that he played in before he started getting a lot more time in there and getting to play uh, full complement, you know, an inning uh, every appearance. Um, so I, I don't know 100% what we're going to see with the bullpen. I think that might depend on who else they possibly bring in. 
um, with the back of the bullpen being fairly well set. Um, I, I think we could see a little bit of adjustment. Hopefully he doesn't continue to get, throw guys out there three, four, five days in a row. Uh, when you look at the bench, you know, the, the bench is interesting to me because I think you have some really, really solid guys that should be, for lack of better words, utility players. I think Kyle yeah. Farmer is a utility player. Jo uh, Josh Van Meter is a utility player. Philip Irvin, while I think he has a great bat, especially against left-handed pitchers, he's a utility outfielder. You know, so if you want to get those guys a start once a week, I've got no problem with that. But I think if you're trying really hard to find two or three starts a week for Van Meter and moving him all around to different places and, you know, getting Farmer behind the plate for a game and then putting him at third base to give Gino a day off, I think you start to almost outsmart yourself with that. So given that you've got a bit more depth in the system now and some more solid, you know, you've obviously got a solid second baseman in Moustakis, maybe we might see a bit more of a regular lineup and maybe some late inning substitutions more so than uh, starting substitutions with some of those utility players. I'm with you. I think that they are very deep on the bench. They've got a lot of guys that, while they don't just jump out and wow you, I think they have a lot of guys who are, you know, half when you know half war to like one and a half war guys. So guys that you're not going to break the bank to go get. You're probably not going to vote on them to make the All Star team, but at the same token, they're going to help propel you to that next level. I, I think, and that's one of the reasons. Um, and we can get into this for just a second. Don't want to spend too much time on a guy that probably won't even be a Red, but the whole rumor idea of Brock Holt. I, I'm just not into that. He he's an older and more expensive version of Josh Van Meter, and actually, absolutely. And, and, and some people have said maybe even less power, which I'm like, at that point, why do you go get a guy like that? Because you've already got Josh Vammer, you've already got Kyle Farmer. We've got some guys who can fill the positions that Brock Holt can fill. And meanwhile, he doesn't help you on any starting level. So, yeah, but that's all to say that they are a deep team. And kind of looking at... Um, we won't go too much into the the positional coach uh, expectations, just simply because I think that they catch way too much flack. Like I don't, I I get, I understand where some people like to blame the hitting coach or blame the pitching coach on things. Obviously, we're not blaming the pitching coach on anything except for the fact that we're awesome. <laughs> uh, but I guess the only question that I have, and I might already know the answer, but does Derek Johnson continue to be a wizard? Oh, I think he does. I, 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 I think he does. I'm kind of interested to see who we see really evolve this year. I think we saw, you know, Sonny Gray obviously had a bounce back from where he was with the Yankees last year. Um, I think we saw uh, a great performance last year, surprise performance from Robert Stevenson. I think he played very, very well, and I hope that uh, we see the same with him. I'm honestly interested to see how Amir Garrett bounces back after a tough, second half of the season and uh the pitcher that i really want to see the most and see if dj had some work with over the offseason is trevor bauer um that's that's the guy that i want to see because i think the trade was made with the idea of him of him being you know we're paying him like an ace so let's let's see him go out there and do what i think we all know he can do um and having a full offseason with Derek johnson hopefully that puts some um, 
hopefully that puts Bauer in a good position to go out there and uh, show what he can do. I got the chance to talk with Dan Samborski last week about the Zips projections for the Reds, and Bauer was probably the more surprising player on those projections in that they expect him to be the best pitcher on the roster. I think if you poll 100 Reds fans, uh, 95 of them would probably say one of Sonny Gray or Luis Castillo would be the best pitcher on the roster, not necessarily Bauer. So I'm I'm excited about that, but along with Bauer, the front office has really loaded up Derek Johnson's cupboard. I mean, if he really is a wizard and he really is putting together potions, he's got so many ingredients this year with Nate Jones and Jose De Leon and Tyler Thornburg, guys who have talent or at one time had talent, but haven't put it all together in a while. Or maybe they, you know, maybe they've been injury prone, this or that, and they've got Kyle Bodie in the system, and they can really work on these guys. I, I that's one of the biggest things, one of the more underrated things I think that I'm looking forward to the most this season is to see how those guys get fixed or don't. You know, I, you know, it's not to say that Derek Johnson is a perfect mastermind when it comes to building pitchers, but he sure did look, sure did look good last season, and. If he can turn any one of those guys into impact bullpen arms, we will have a very deep bullpen as well. Absolutely. You bring up De Leon. He's another one I think everybody should keep an eye on. Um, you know, very highly rated when he came out. And, you know, injuries obviously slowed him down a little bit. But um, I think he's got a lot of potential if he's healthy to come in there. And, you know, and, and there's some guys in that bullpen that have been there for a while. Cody Reed, Sal Romano. Um, I mean, this this is kind of their last chance, too. So uh, they're going to be fighting pretty hard tooth and nail in spring training to to get one of those bullpen spots. Um, and even even at their best, you know, like the guys you were mentioning earlier, um, Thornburg and, uh, you know, guys like that, they're going to have their work cut out for them to make a spot on that roster, I think. Yeah, but right back to the conversation here in just a minute. But I wanted to remind you about visitarizona.com slash spring training. Are you looking to book your trip out to Cactus League spring training and to see the Reds or to see everyone involved? They're, they're all pretty close, about a 50-mile radius there around the Phoenix area. And there's plenty to do outside the ballpark, whether they be uh, hiking excursions, you want to see the Grand Canyon, all that good stuff. It's all right there in beautiful, warm Arizona. If you're like me and you live in the Cincinnati area, you're freezing your butt off, go to Arizona and warm up. And the best way to do that is to go to visitarizona.com slash spring training. Visitarizona.com is the home base for baseball fans, the best way to get your trip out to Arizona today. It's the best place to meet all your favorite players and enjoy baseball in a relaxed environment. That's Cactus League spring training action. Best way to book it. Visit Arizona.com slash spring training. Go there and book your trip today. If we really look at it, I'd say obvious locks are Ricella Glacius. Michael Lorenzen, Amir Garrett, um, probably Robert Stevenson. Would you say that Lucas Sims is a lock? He he's close, I think. I I, I think he's close to a lock. He has an option. Uh, no, and he doesn't have an option remaining, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So uh, I I think that kind of puts him him in there as well. I 
hesitate to call him a lock, but I think it's pretty safe to say he'd be in there as well. So, I mean, there's there's five spots right there that um, you'd consider being pretty much secure, and that leaves, what, three bullpen spots remaining maybe? So I believe so, yeah. that Because, it, yeah, it's a uh, 26-man roster now, but they do cap it at 13 pitchers. So, yeah, it'd be eight bullpen guys total. So, I, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see who emerges from this group because they have done an interesting job of putting together kind of a, I mean, I, I don't mean it to sound negative, but this is just the word that keeps coming to my mind, hodgepodge, a mm-hmm. hodgepodge of minor league contracts with invites to spring training, and they're just going to see which dart sticks to the board the best. So we, we move on from... Let's move from the pitching staff. Let's look kind of at the infield. And there's, I almost say that there are two obvious spots that are full. Well, okay, aside from catcher, it feels like there are two obvious spots that are full. But are they? And I want to get your take on this because it's been something that has been discussed a lot, especially as the weeks go on where the Reds don't make a big trade for a big shortstop. Can someone not currently positioned at shortstop. I won't point out any specific names, but can people, you know, a player on the roster to fill in, you know, put at shortstop and this still be a playoff team? You're talking about somebody currently on the Reds roster? Yes. Whether they be infielders or outfielders. I I think think we're both on the same page here and we're discussing Nick Senzel. Um, Yes. And... I don't see why he can't make that transition given the way the roster is laid out. Um, I mean, we saw him switch to center field last year after never playing a lick in the outfield. And while he he wasn't a gold glove uh, caliber player, he still played well enough. The kid has a bat. He's going to be, you know, maybe not top of the order this year with with Shogo on the team, but he's going to be one of the better hitters on the team. Uh, I don't see why, if, if the Reds can't make a trade for Seager, if they can't make a trade for Lindor, and both of those seem like a long shot now, I don't think Galvis is a terrible option at shortstop. I, I, I do think that we're a bit harsh on Freddie Galvis. And, it, I mean, we didn't see a lot of him last year, and he's got a heck of a glove. But, I mean, you got to find a way to get Senzel in the lineup on an everyday basis. And after adding Akiyama with the potential for him to play center field, it just seems like a natural fit to give Senzel at least an opportunity to win that job at at shortstop. And I, I would at least give him the opportunity. And the worst thing you do is you stick him back out in center field and you rotate, you know, four outfielders out that way. I'm with I I, I tend to be in the middle on Galvis. I don't necessarily think that he is the best option, but I don't think that he needs to be getting as much flack as he currently is. I feel like some people think he's like Jerry Hairston or something. Right. <laughs> I, I don't think or he's that Hamilton bad. Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, it's, and it's, um, one thing, uh, one of the segments I've been doing here lately on the jib jab with Joey, there's a point where he talks about whenever Freddie Galvis uh, came to the team and he sat down and talked with him a bunch, and he learned something from it. If Joey Votto learns something from Freddie Galvis, that means Freddie Galvis has something to offer. And it's, it's right. not, he's, <laughs> you know, you know, I just don't think it's too hard 
to squint. Now, I'm not saying he's the best option. I don't, I don't think that. But I mean, if you can move Sinzel there, I, I've seen here lately that they might, not that the Reds might, but that there are some folks who would believe that Eugenio Suarez can make the move back to shortstop. I don't know about that because I feel like he's filled in to his third base shoes nicely. And I don't know that, I mean, maybe Senzel at second is better than Senzel at short just because he played more there in the minor leagues. But on the whole, I think we're kind of uh, throwing darts on this one. Let's uh, table that for a later time. (laughs) Let's talk real quick before we jump into the outfield. Let's talk about our man, Joey. Because I think me and you are on the same page as far as our expectations for him being a top-of-the-order guy, being a getting-on-base kind of guy, and catalyzing the rest of the offense. Does he do that? And he doesn't have to have like a 400 on base, but can he get on base, do you think, around a 380 clip? Yes, I I, I think... We've 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 seen enough of Joey Votto struggling, um, and I think you know he he feels it. I, I think it's obvious in the interviews that he you know he spoke with C. Trent of the Athletic the other day, and you know we we've heard it. He knows it. He knows he struggled the last two seasons. He's not happy with it, and I think of anybody on that team who's going to put in the work and. I was at the last game of the season last year uh, out at Great American Ballpark when he was essentially, and I hesitated to say it this way, but he was booed off the field after striking out. Oh, and yeah, that was dumb. That's, yeah, and that's just, I think, Joey's to me is one of those guys who's going to just have that in his mind and go out with an idea to prove people wrong, whether it's the Cincinnati fans, the pundits that say he's washed up, whoever it is, I mean... You know, the guy knows how to play the game of baseball. He still has solid defense at first base. And with the lineup that's starting to develop around him, I think he has the ability to really have a bounce-back season this year. And I think, to be perfectly honest, if Cincinnati has playoffs aspirations, he has to be that type of player. He doesn't have to hit 35 home runs again. But he's got to be able to get on base, hit some clutch hits, uh, you know, doubles and things like that and uh, be the leader that he needs to be on that team. I'm with you, because I don't think if he is struggling, it's not as if you're going to replace him in the lineup. It's you just He's just going to roll out there. But at the same time, he cannot be mediocre and the team be awesome. That's Agreed. Just, Agreed. It, it, I know that he's not the guy. The guy is Gino. But yes. as Joey goes... It's very, very possible that's how the Reds will go this year. So, that brings us to the outfield. Now, there are potentially 733 outfielders <laughs> that could I, I thought I had 734, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, if they move Senzel to the end. No. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, we've got so many, and there's so many question marks. There's lots of potential. Don't get me wrong. There's lots of potential, but there's also a wide margin of possibilities, you know, wide uh, – where am I going with this? There is a a big range of possibilities with all of the outfielders. I mean, I know that we talk about 
the platoon of Winker and Irvin being a viable left fielder when you combine the stats. But are they going to be healthy all year? Is that going to remain the same? Will they try to play one of Winker or Irvin against left-handed or right-handed pitching trying to increase their value? I, I just I, I think with that and then also looking at Aquino, and I know that the sample size is tiny, but his statistics in Winter Bowl have not been very nice. He's struck out a lot. And seeing the way that he ended September, who among let's say who among the returners? So we're we're uh, leaving Shogo out of this discussion, out of the returning outfielders, who do you feel the most confident in them playing well in 2020. I'm, I'm going to go with Nick Senzel and I, 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 you know, kind of go with that under the impression that he is going to be in the outfield. Um, and even he has a question mark. I think every single one of these players that we're looking at in the outfield has a question mark. You talked about consistency with Aquino. Obviously Winker has struggled to stay healthy and can't hit left-handers very well. Hasn't even been given the option, really, to hit many left-handers. Philip Irvin, nice player. Don't know that he's an everyday player. Right. You know, Van Meter, he looks like a utility-type player to me. And then I just... So that kind of leads me right to Senzel, and obviously you have the health question with him. That has to be filled out first. Um, I don't buy into the whole label of him being injury-prone. No. Um, I, I think that's an exaggeration, personally. But... Um, you know, if he's healthy to start the season, I think he's your best outfield option if they keep him in the outfield. I, I think that people that describe Nixon Zell as injury prone are looking for a lazy tag to put on him and they don't want to study him too much. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, I, I think you could look at a player like Ken Griffey Jr. and call him injury prone in the latter part of his career. And they were all in the same part of his body, you know, always happened to his legs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was t- terrible to see for a guy like Junior. But, you know, for Sinzel, it just seems to be like these freak little injuries that pop up left and right. And really just recently, you know, just since he moved up to AAA is when we started seeing these. Um, you know, I, I'd be lying if I told you the aspect of the vertigo didn't scare me. And that honestly, right. more than anything else that he has dealt with is, from a fan's perspective, would make me hesitant uh, because – that's something that is going to linger possibly for his entire career. But yeah. if, if they're able to find a way to get past that aspect of it, I think the little things with you know the, the finger that he dealt with in AAA and the ankle, you see those things with players left and right, even shoulder injuries. So I, I think the, the injury-prone label is a bit much to be laying on a guy who just played his first level, you know, rookie year last year. So I don't buy into that too much with him. I'm with you, and I think that a big part of Nixon Zell being the most reliable returning outfielder is the fact that he understood where his struggles stemmed from. I remember reading an interview with him shortly after the season ended where he said that he was like, you know, I really tried to tweak my swing for more power there in August, and I think that really messed me up. And then, you know, he got hurt, and we didn't see him the rest of the year. I think he's going to come back with the swing that he had in June and July when he was really starting to put things together. And we're going to see that generational, like I think, 
I don't know if they said generational, but really above average hitter that everyone was talking about in the minor leagues. I don't, I don't think we're going to see a guy where we've got to look at his 265 batting average and squint and say, well, you know, his, his BABIP was only 240. So he was getting unlucky. He should have been better. I, I think he's going to be a legitimately good hitter on the, on the other, on the other token, I feel pretty good. And I think I'm one of the more uh, bullish fans when it comes to him. I feel really good about the Punisher. I really do. And I know that the numbers haven't been great in September and in winter ball and stuff like that. And I was the one that even just said that just two seconds ago. So I'm also <laughs> uh, arguing with myself here. That happens sometimes. Um but I, I think that I feel really good about Aquino. I think he's going to be pretty good. I, and I think that the key to him really developing and continuing to look good in the batter's box and in the field is that they aren't relying on him to be the cleanup hitter. That was definitely plan A, point one, sub point A, whatever it was, the first thing that they needed to do this offseason. And they did it whenever they got Mike Moustakis. Absolutely agree on that point. I think another thing that uh, helps Aquino and is going to you know, keep him in the field a lot is his defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you don't worry about him defensively uh, out there uh, getting those opportunities. He's a pretty, pretty stellar defender. He's got that speed. Uh, he's got a cannon for an arm. So th- those types of things are going to give him a lot of opportunities out there as well to showcase his talent. And he's obviously got power at the plate. Um, he's he's definitely going to get his opportunities. I think he and Senzel get are going to get their opportunities. Akiyama is obviously going to get the opportunities. You don't sign him unless you do that. So that's that's where to me the question mark is raised with Jesse Winker and Philip Irvin as far as consistent playing time and where they're going to find it on this team. I definitely agree with you, and we'll hope. I, I, I've been monitoring to see if Nick Castellanos gets uh, picked up. He hasn't got picked up yet. Hopefully, here soon, that's going to happen. Maybe while you uh, talking to you, the listener, while you're listening to this on Thursday, Drew. I thank you so much for stopping in, man, and uh, having a chat about our good old Red Legs. What is what's uh, Blog Red Machine got coming out here soon? Well, I always appreciate coming on, Jeff. Uh, we've got, uh, I think we're going to delve in here soon into looking back at the 1990 championship team since we're going into, uh, 2020, 30 years since the 1990 championship. So I think we're going to have some stuff coming out on that. Uh, obviously we still, you know, we're chasing the rumors out there and once spring training heats up, uh, I'm sure we'll have some predictions and things to watch and different, uh, little nuggets and tidbits every now and again to uh for everybody to see everybody to see he is drew cook he's the man that runs the blog red machine if you haven't checked that out it's just blogredmachine.com and at blogredmachine on twitter very great follow thanks again drew we'll look forward to talking to you again soon my pleasure jeff have a good one
Hey Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.